Welcome to the Artist's Work Ethic Podcast. I'm Mike Pilak. I'm a screenwriter, actor, and filmmaker who's always looking to maximize my time and potential as I work to break in. In this podcast, I talk to artists of all kinds who have seen success in their fields about their process, habits, and work ethic. Today on the show is Glenn Morgan. Glenn's a screenwriter, director, and producer with many TV credits. Among them, Glenn has co-written a ton of episodes of The X-Files and was also an executive producer on the show's 11th season. Glenn was one of the writers of the first Final Destination movie and also wrote and directed the 2006 remake of Black Christmas. He also recently executive produced the Twilight Zone reboot with Jordan Peele. A couple quick things before we jump into the episode. I've talked in the past about myself working on breaking into screenwriting. Please check out blackoilfilms.com screenwriting. There you can check out some of the screenplays I've written. I have the first 10 pages of each one uploaded, but feel free to email me at theartistsworkethicpodcast at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to send you a full script if you're interested in reading. Last thing before we get into the episode, I would love anyone listening to subscribe, rate, and review the Artist's Work Ethic Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us put the show out there for more people to listen to. All right, Glenn, thank you for coming on with me today. Uh, honor honor to be here, uh, as I said, uh, with such uh, an incredible list of other people, except Nick Lee. I don't know how he got on here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm clearly an X-Files fan. Yeah. Oh. Well, uh, we worked with Nick back on the commish. Yeah. yeah so. When you first made your leap into, into writing full-time, how confident were you in yourself and did you have any kind of backup plan? Um, no backup plan. Although my dad was constantly, you should study insurance and stuff. And I was like, no, I would fail at that. I don't, this is like, I knew what I want to do. Like, as we mentioned before we started recording, I grew up in Syracuse, New York, and it was just like love movies. <laughs> and you just like, uh, want to do that. But when you're there, it's like, how's that going to happen? And then once, you know, coming out to California, and you're closer, like I'm doing it. Uh, and that was it. I was just like, um, there was just no doubt in my mind. If you ask me about it, I'm now I have nothing but doubt, but back then I was pretty confident. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I feel like I, I was thinking about this recently and was talking with my wife about it, that I, I feel like I have a, sometimes a weird confidence in, in the things that I'm making, but it's like, that's the only portion of my life that I feel super confident in for some reason, you know, and, and I always feel like whatever I do is just going to work whether in, you know, whether it does or doesn't. Um, but I feel like you kind of need yeah. that, that almost like stupid confidence to, to go out and try to make, make stuff like this. Life in this business and this art is like, whatever you have is kind of like whatever Schrodinger's cat, you know, where you have to totally, this is going to be the greatest thing ever written. What am I writing this for? Or I'm totally going to get this job, but what am I going to do when it doesn't happen? And I don't think that's being negative, but it's just like a mindset that you got to have. Cause you feel like I'm totally getting this job. It's not going to happen. And if you like, and nothing but doubt, and then you get the job, you're caught unprepared. So 
I think that's just like the nature of art, but especially in film. Would you say that your work ethic came from something in how you were raised or, or some kind of external factor that, that you've encountered in your life? I mean, I always give the example of finding punk rock at age 15 or whatever it was, gave me the, the, the mindset of, I can go do what I want if I just figure out that path. I want to really touch on the punk thing and, and, but I, and I hope this isn't long winded. It's just like everything. I, it's just everybody. My, my dad's family were miners in Pennsylvania and, um, a little bit of that. And then, um, my family moved from Syracuse, New York to San Diego. And there I had the luck of getting into a high school drama program. They always put like, the idiots and people and and trouble with the police were always put in drama or stage crew. And I got there because I came from New York and they didn't know what to do with me. Best thing ever happened. I had a, a guy there uh, to teach her, uh, Howard Roberts, who had done, he, he lived in a house with Ben Gazzara and, uh, uh, geez, Marlon Brando and Wally Cox. And he had always said, as a, you know, as a kid, he's like, there's no path that guarantees you're going to get there but you better be prepared when you get there. So I had that. Uh, and he really instilled, I don't want to see you before the curtain goes up. You've got to be on time. You've got to learn your lines. And that's never gone away. And then going to college, I had, um, you know, writing comedy, writing teacher who helped out, you know, and then friends. And as you said, I think uh, you get older. It's like your peers hold you to it. You know, if your bandmates, or your teammates or the other writers on staff, even things like, you know, as a in San Diego is like my Tony Gwynn was like my sports god and Dan Fouts. And when I go into a meeting, I still think of Tony Gwynn going to the plate. He was prepared. He knew the pitcher. He had studied the pitcher. So I study the executive or the company and all that, those kind of things. And um, there's a lot more that I want to tell you about. But that's what it is. It's just like different, you get different things and you get things from people who are assholes where you go, I never want to treat somebody that way. Or people who you have a big meeting of people at 11 o'clock and they show up at 1120 and joke around and you just don't understand that everyone hates you. And so just to see that, you know, things like that. And like um, uh, the, the Ramones or Joe Strummer. And I know Springsteen's not punk, but I had worked in factories. And when I heard Darkness on the Edge of Town, I'm like, oh man, I don't want this. And I think that shapes your work ethic and what it takes. Other than these poor people that I'd seen, you know, drunk at 630 work on the machine at 80 degree temperatures. I'm like, I don't want that. And so if I have to do this, apply myself to not be here, then that's what I got to do. It's almost like uh, there's a there's an old expression that I remember hearing somewhere. I, I don't remember where, but it's like knowing what right looks like. Yeah, and I, I feel yeah. like that's kind of that, like just not being the asshole who's twenty minutes late and just kind of you know it's and it's, and I think it's cool making jokes. Yeah, it's like an integrity you know, thing, I guess. Yeah, without question, without question. I, you know what I also left out is you know I'm I'm talking a lot about me, but my start I had a partner from high school. Jim Wong. And, you know, we got started on 21 Jump Street, which was at Stephen J. Cannell. And, you know, he, you know, he wrote the Rockford Files, which I wrote, which I watched when I was a kid. And what those, you know, I'll call old timers, they're probably all younger than I am now. But like, they would tell you 
how to get an actor out of a trailer, they would tell you, no, you got to do this now. Uh, you know, things you would no film school would ever tell you. So to listen to the people that have been there before, they've got a lot to tell you. They're not, you know, and I had, I butted heads with Steve about how to tell a story or what television was at the time, but he allowed that. And now that I'm older, I'm like, okay, I think about Steve. And if somebody takes issue with me, I try to like, let them have their peace. You know, to, when you talk about confidence, I think that's confidence is to be able to let a view, an alternative view other than yours be heard. What has patience and persistence meant to your career? I would say, especially maybe in the early part of it, when you were first kind of trying to break into those rooms, you know, and still kind of scratching for that first chance, you know, how, how did you keep so persistent until it kind of all came together for you? Um, I'll answer that, but you know what? I think the question is, how do I do it now? Because when you're getting started, you just like you're young and you want it and you know what to do and you believe that you belong there. You know, you just can write all day and, and still go out and, and play a game of pickup basketball and come back and write. And, you know, it's like you just thrilling. And then, you know, now uh, I've had a, a lifetime of stupid fucking notes. So when I could, when I get into my, my notebook or computer, I'm like, ah, oh, they're going to hate this, you know? And that's the, like, push through it and either deal with it or not. You know, that's the hard part is getting my ass in this chair now. But back then I'm like, ah, oh, this is so thrilling. You know, uh, part of that thrill wears off, you know, you've been around celebrities and you've been with actors and you, I've directed some things. Those are goal, goals of mine and you've achieved those. It's what keeps you going after you've had some setbacks and failures. And it's like, just like, um, you know, finding that part within yourself to try to go back to when you started and go, what, why did I do this in the first place? And go, oh yeah, I remember. And then you zero in and find that place in your heart and soul and or other people bring it out in you or things you see as you go through life that you want to convey to other people and, and find it. Find it then. So I, I guess I want to answer your question that it's much harder to do now than it was then. Talking about, you know, sitting down every day and just, you know, putting, you know, whatever fingers to keys. How, how are you structuring your day today to, you know, continue writing whatever you're working on, but also handle meetings and family and all that type of stuff and, and just stay focused on what you need to be doing? and productive well i um there's a couple things i really uh first off I, you know i'm blanking on the title but the rick rubin book on creativity i couldn't i could god it's great someone just just mentioned that to me the other day too. i really i couldn't recommend that more it's like reading that is just like everything i want to tell you is in that book it's like he's it's just great uh secondly uh David Lynch had a book, I, I don't know about creating or whatever. And at one point he's like, if you go into the studio, because he's talking about painting, you go into the studio and you move brushes from this jar and clean a brush for four hours and then paint for four hours, those four hours of cleaning and moving brushes count as work. And I really, because I'll come up here and 
play video games or look at what are the Padre schedule or whatever and just like for an hour or two and then really crank some blasts out in 15 minutes and then i go have lunch yeah other days it's like those three hours of, of looking through but the important thing is to really get your ass in the chair and when you have the family stuff it becomes i think as a writer i think especially younger you got to have a level of, of being selfish i've written on especially if i'm in production i've written on thanksgiving i've written on christmas eve and it's just like and i just like leave the house i just come out here into my garage and like whoop, everybody knows where i went but you have to have a little i'm being selfish now if somebody's sick or somebody's down and you can attend to somebody that's a different story but um every day to get out there and just just i i heard it was the dr seuss quote i've never been able to find this like the important thing is to get your ass in the chair you don't have to write anything but to get your ass in the chair and i really believe that and i think sometimes it's just finding those little pockets of time too you know in, in those situations that you're talking about i i mean i guess kind of a pet peeve of mine is when i talk to people not for this but just people generally in life and someone might say, Oh, wow, you're, you're doing all sorts of things. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And you know, they'll rattle off this or that. And I'm like, well, why don't you just do it? Because that's how I think, you know, just, just go and do it. And the response is always, well, I don't really have time. And I'm like, but you do have time. You just have to, if you have 15 minutes, you could do 15 minutes worth of something. It, it, you know, you may not write a novel in 15 minutes, but 15 minutes a day for a year and a half, you might have something, you know, it's, I, I think just to your point, it's, you just have to find those pockets of time and be a little selfish. You know, it's, yeah, you have to not find it. You have to make it, sure. you have to make that time. Um, it's great to have a routine. It, it, uh, I think, I think there's, it's a dynamic thing to it. Also, if you're a showrunner, maybe you can write in the morning. But then you get to work and the shit hits the fan and you don't get to write again until 12 hours later when everyone's gone home, you've gone to set and you just and and then everything in your head is being put on the pages you need. So. And you're tired and you're, oh, man, but that's that's a grind. And so but that schedule is made for you. You know, and when you're when I'm younger. I could have stayed up till three in the morning writing like those days are gone and there's good TV to watch and baseball games and football games to watch. And so now I write more in the morning when the kids were at school. I'm like, got to write, take them, come back. Um, now in California, it's kicking up into the 90s and you just like out in the attic. I just feel like a lizard on a rock. I don't want to do shit, you know. So you just you, it can change. Uh, given your um, situation, whatever it may be. Is there an example of of something in your career where you've gone ab- above and beyond, maybe did something out of the norm that separates you from your peers um, to help, I guess, propel your career in some way? Uh, not in my opinion, you know, until I write Raging Bull or Lawrence of Arabia, I haven't done shit, you know, and that's not going to happen. Um, I think the weird thing, I hear this a bunch. 
uh, Jim and I get um, known. There was an X Files episode, and they had this mother under the bed and all that stuff. And it was like I, I'm not I'm not being cavalier when I'm being very honest. It was like uh, I knew I wanted to write a thing for a couple of the actors on the series. We had space film beyond, so I was like, well, these brothers, and it all comes all it all comes together. And my wife and I, Kristen and I, were going to go to England for a week or whatever. And I just kind of put it together. Just wrote it so fast. And then you just become known for that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And other stuff that I'm like, oh, I love this. It made so much work. And then no one, and people hate it, or most of them are in the drawer here. And so um, I guess that's the other part of work ethic. Is you just got to bring it every time. And that's, you know, that's the Tony Gwynn and the... There's a, uh, there's a, there's a podcast that I listen to occasionally. Um, if, if you know the band less than Jake, of course. um, the, the singer of less than Jake, Krista makes has a podcast where each week he has on a songwriter and they break down one song that that songwriter wrote. Yeah. And it's like anyone from uh, hu- huge, like nineties rock bands to kind of like more niche, you know, pop punk bands. And I would say 75% of the time, the song that is that band's hit song is one of those where they go, right. I, I wrote it in 15 minutes. You know, I, I hemmed and hawed over the rest of the record. This one came out in 15 minutes and this is what everyone just connected with. And it's almost like being able to have the vision to identify that too. Um, without, Without question, I'm like, there's a, a podcast I'm listening to, a hundred, uh, history of rock and 500 songs, and how often what, what you just said happens, or some other producer said, don't record. Louis Louis sat around on a napkin for two years because no one thought it was any good. And that becomes the other thing like, if you believe in it, you know, go do it. Uh, starting when I used him on X Files, I become good buddies with Tim Armstrong, like our family from Rancid, our families. Mm-hmm. And like, it amazes me. Talk about worth ethic. Those guys, how many times have they played Ruby Soho? And if they're going on a tour, they rehearse. Yeah. And they was like, everyone else just stay away. We're rehearsing. And I'm like, really? You got to rehearse Ruby Soho? Oh, yeah. You know, and so that. That's an inspiration too, and the stuff that he told me about uh, Joe Strummer or the Ramones. That you just you, why would they have to practice Blitzkrieg Bop? They've played it ten thousand times, and they do. Yeah, and there was there's a work ethic there, especially especially in punk because it tends to be a working class community. But I really I, I believe in that too. It's like so not only do you have to have that time to write yourself, but to read books, read classics, see movies. So often when I'm in a writer's room now, I'm sorry, I'm the old guy, but like younger writers have never seen One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest. They don't know what network is. And it's like unacceptable. You can't be in a punk rock band and not know Beat on the Brat. Yeah. You, you know, you don't have to play it, but you have to know what came before you. And so you have to have that time too to continually see what younger what show what even if you don't like them you know to uh watch those shows and to see films and to you know keep learning what's something work ethic or productivity related that you feel like you could improve on i don't know how i do it i wish i was smarter i see some of these ari aster films and i'm like man i'm an idiot like i just don't 
I don't know what's going on or, you know, I, I don't know. And so that's why I do try to read things and, and see stuff and analyze it and really break it down. And now I'm fortunate that I, my kids are brilliant and my youngest daughter's a, a writer at Canyon. And we, we talk about this stuff. I have so much DNA going on to become smarter. I don't know if I'm answering. That's a good question. I don't know if I'm answering it right, but that's my frustration is that just, just sitting there writing and just go, man, I'm stupid. <laughs> I, I don't know. This is remedial. Oh, they always say yeah. not to compare yourself to, uh, to others, you know? You know, yesterday I was like, uh, because I got the strike and, you know, the actors tonight, is, it's hairy. And I'm like, look at the Hollywood Reporter. And, and I just slip into first reactions on Oppenheimer. I go, this is the greatest film ever made. And I'm like, go back into my office to write. And I'm like, I suck. <laughs> this is an Oppenheimer. No, this is a $1 million horror movie. It's not meant to be Oppenheimer, <laughs> but it ruined it. The whole night I was like a basket case because I suck. I didn't do Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Is there anything that you want to plug or talk about before we go? No, man, I'm on strike. Got it. So, uh, I'm, uh, that's what I would like to plug is I wish that they would come around and understand. You know, I know that uh, things like AI, I'm using it myself um, to research, not to write. And I know that's the world, but this kind of thing where you don't need us, you don't need actors or anybody is, uh, it's just mean. And I just, uh, I wish they would get off of that. You know, we all have, I believe that, you know, I read your stuff and I can see there's so much of that happened to you. You know, I watch things and go, this, this really happened. Mm -hmm. that's those are the movies and things that i love that i'm like no one could write this except the person that happened to yeah. Yeah. and um there's so i'm up on the picket lines and you just go by and there's thousands of us like you and me that have like this is life do you see it this way too and the idea of turning that over to software is offensive to me yep agreed all right glenn thank you for coming on with me today as a as an honor, I really I hope I wasn't uh, long winded, but it's it's a great topic, and I really um, it, it's a great topic. I you know it's like um, and you got to have it. Thank you so much for listening today. Please subscribe to the Artist Work Ethic Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, and please rate and review the show. Follow us on Instagram at the Artist's Work Ethic, and check out theartistsworkethic.com. dot